Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Ashman is the founder and director of the Israeli human rights organization Torah Sedek, Torah of Justice. Previously, he led rabbis for human rights for 21 years. Rabbi Asherman is a sought-after lecturer, has received numerous prizes for his human rights work, and has been featured in several documentary films, including the 2010 Israel vs. Israel. He and Torah Tzedek received the Rabbi David J. Foreman uh, Memorial Fund's Human Rights Prize for 5779. Rabbi Asherman is recognized as a role model for faith-based human rights activism. Thank you very much for taking time to talk. I appreciate your having me. Thanks. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. So to start right at the beginning, um, how did you end up in Israel? Well, um, you know, I uh, fell in love with this country. I I grew up in a in a family that stressed Israel, that stressed uh, love of Israel. Uh, I I came here for three days as part of a larger family trip between high school and university, and just fell in love with this place. Um, I didn't consider myself a Zionist at the time because um, I thought to be a Zionist, you had to believe that all Jews had to live in the land of Israel. I didn't believe that then. I didn't believe that now. Uh, and I would have all these debates with my Zionist roommate. Uh, but then I read through Arthur Hertzberg's Zionist idea, and I realized that there are many strands of Zionism, some of which I find racist and repugnant, others of which I very much identify with, and that the common denominator is that it's the liberation movement of the Jewish people. Um, I still didn't necessarily think I was going to live here because I thought I would live wherever I could make my contribution to Tikkun Olam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I would go straight from university to rabbinical school. God had some other ideas. I actually didn't get accepted. Uh, they said, I, we want you to reapply, but you're not ready. You can't just go from school to school to school. you got to go out and do something in the world. Um, and I'd heard about a program called Interns for Peace uh, in which Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs and people like myself uh, spend time as community workers um, working to create uh, positive interactions between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews. Um, that's I went and did that. Um, I lived in an Israeli Arab village in the Galilee for almost two years. I began to have a sense of community with people doing things like this uh, in Israel. I began to feel that this was the place with my own people that I could make my contribution to Tikkun Olam, really where, of course, is the, the cutting edge of Jewish history, and then marrying a third-generation Israeli who would never live anywhere else was kind of like icing on the cake. I, did, I had no choice after that. Right, amazing, amazing. So, wh- what is your what is one of your favorite pieces of Torah um, that animates your activism uh, in regards to the intersectionality of Judaism, Israel, and human rights? Well, there are so many. That's a tough one. 
Uh, and of course, it all starts with just the very first chapter of Rashid of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, that we're all created in God's image. That's where it all starts. That's where we really learn about the connection between uh, Judaism and human rights, everything that uh, we call mitzvot ben adam universal commandments. Some would say that they're only for how we treat our fellow Jews. Maybe not even all Jews, only our only our community. But of course, it doesn't say they're just that Jews are created in God's image. It doesn't say just the wealthy are created in God's image. It makes a point of saying men and women. But I'll tell you, the the text that I teach again and again to my children, every time I get into a conversation, even in a potentially confrontational situation with soldiers or the army, and I teach them um, from uh, Rashar Hirsch, Rabbi Shimshon Ripel Hirsch, uh, mid-19th century uh, uh, rabbi, one of the founders of modern orthodoxy, who uh, in one of the 36 times that were taught in the Torah about how we treat the non-Jew living among us, says that Toivat Mitzrayim, uh, the abomination of Egypt, was simply this. They felt that right might makes right because they had absolute power over us that gave them the right to enslave us, to do with us as they wished. And Rabbi Hurst several decades before Theodore Herzl, says someday we're going to have a state, God willing. Um, thank God. And the Torah is warning us, when we will have that state, we must not treat those who we will have power over as the Egyptians treated us. That's a tough one to do. We are one of the most oppressed peoples in, in, in history. And it's natural to treat others as you were treated. Psychologists tell us that those who were beaten as children are more likely to beat their own children. And yet the Torah is telling us we have to be different. Um, that after 2000 years that we suffered because we didn't have power, we craved it, we deserved it, we need it today to survive here. But that is our challenge. Whether it's how we treat indigent Israelis living who need public housing, whether it's how we treat Palestinians or African asylum seekers. How do we use the power we prayed for and now we have? So given, so given the power that the Jewish people now have concretized in a state, how is the state to navigate the tension between security and uh, ensuring human rights for minorities? Well, um, of course, that's not so much the issue if we're talking about economic justice for Israelis. Yeah. That becomes more salient if we're talking about Palestinian human rights. Right. Um, 90% of what I deal with that's a non-issue, okay? There are issues, for example, pockets um, held, and we may uh, very well be harming civilians. You have a real human rights issue and a tension between that and security. But for example, um, if we're talking about home demolitions, where we've taken away from Palestinians the right to plan their communities, uh, we don't allow them generally to get building permits, and then we demolish the homes before, because they didn't have a permit, not only is there no tension between human rights and security, but the hatred we create endangers us. And I don't know how many times when I've gone to rebuild a demolished home and Palestinian parents make their children meet us. They say, yeah, like deja vu every time. Our 10-year-old son is just seeing his home demolished in front of his eyes. He's just seeing his parents humiliated in front of his eyes. What do we say to our 10-year-old son when he says, I want to grow up and be a terrorist? We want them to know that not every Israeli comes with guns to demolish our homes. Um, and if we're correctly, when we're correctly concerned about 
what Palestinians are being taught in their schools about Israelis. The question is how we empower that Palestinian parent who doesn't want their child to become a terrorist, who wants their child to know something different. And so what, we're, what we do actually is a contribution to our security. Great. So how, how would you say Israeli policy has changed during your time as an activist regarding the treatment of, 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 of Palestinians and, or, or, or other minorities on both sides of the Green Line? Right. Well, there's been ups and downs, and we've had serious successes. It would be hard for me to look myself in the mirror if we didn't have anything to show after I've been doing this for 24 years. For example, as a result of, you know, we, we work day in and day out in the olive groves, being human shields, almost getting our heads cracked open, um, protecting Palestinian farmers trying to get to their olive trees. And then we went to Israel's high court, and we won a major victory so that if you were to come back and come and visit during the olive harvest, you would actually see Israeli soldiers protecting Palestinians to get to the olive trees next to or even inside settlements, because sometimes the settlement was put down in the middle of the, of the olive grove and then a fence built around, including more trees. <coughs> Overall, though, we're in a pretty grim situation right now. Um, after many years that I felt that we were making progress, um, I think we've been really moving backwards um, uh, in many, many ways, both inside Israel and, and in the occupied territories. Um, I, I, we don't support or oppose any government or any politician or, or any party, but I have to say that uh, we've seen in recent years uh, from top down a delegitimization and demonization of human rights defenders. We've seen an all-out attack on our court system um, and an increased ethnocentrism uh, where we do believe that because we have the might, it makes what we do right. Right, right. So on a personal level, how would you say you have changed as an activist during, during these last few decades? Well, first of all, uh, I used to believe everybody, and now I don't believe anybody. Uh, as a human rights defender, you learn that everything has to be double-checked, and everything has to be cross-checked uh, and corroborated. Uh, so I guess that's one, uh, one change. <coughs> um, a very painful day for me was the day when I could no longer say we have the most moral army in the world. Yeah. That doesn't mean we have the most immoral army by any means. Right. Um, and I, I have a, a daughter in the army right now. My son will be in the army soon. Um, but I can't say that anymore. Yeah. Although I still get a lot of um, um, support and the, the will to go on by knowing that that's what Israelis want. Even, even if I can't believe it anymore, the fact that the average Israeli Jew aspires to having the most moral army in the world um, is something that keeps me going. Um, you know, I couldn't do what I do if I'd given up on my fellow Israelis. Um, and, you know, we did a, a poll in 2013. 90% of Israeli Jews uh, said that Bedouin are taking over the Negev. So we said, let's unpack that. Well, 70% thought they wanted 25%. Said the median was 43.9%. And when we told them that, in fact, if all outstanding 
Bedouin land comes would be recognized and honored, it, was, it would be about 5.4%. The average Israeli Jew says, well, that's fair. Why not? And, you know, it's things like that to tell me that my job is not just rubbing the nose of the naughty puppy in the mess they made. Right. It's saying, I know, my fellows, I know you're good and decent people. I know you're trying to be just. I know that you aspire to be just. But you need to look in the mirror. You need a reality check. What's our word, of course, in Hebrew for prayer? It's a reflexive verb to judge ourselves. We look in the mirror, that's God, because we're created in God's image. God doesn't need to hear that God saves the, you know, uh, stands with the oppressed and frees the captives, heals the sick. We who are created in God's image and need to be as godlike as humanly possible, we need to hear it. And tikkun olam is about holding up God the mirror to our fellow Israelis out of the faith that if they were to look in the mirror, they won't exactly like what they see and they aspire to be better. So, so, so my last question for you, picking up on your daughter and your son and the, the, the aspiration to do better, what is the dream for you? What, 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 what is the Israel you wish for your kids and uh, grandkids to, to inhabit? Well, it's just where we started. It will be a society that honors the image of God in every human being. Back to Rabbi Hirsch. He says that if you make human rights, and he uses the word human rights, uh, as well as I can tell because I don't read the original German, um, contingent on race or religion or wealth or standing or anything other than the fact that a human being is a human being is a human being. That's what I learned from my parents uh, when I pray the Amidah and, uh, you know, that tradition that I think about from generation to generation as we read the first paragraph of the Amidah and then we get into in the second paragraph. It's starting with that. And that's a society I want myself and for all this Israelis for our world. You should be blessed to continue to keep that dream alive and to advocate for Torah values as fiercely as you do. And uh, may that dream be one day be actualized. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you very much.